Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Claire Warden, who's an intimacy coordinator, fight director, teacher, and so much more. She actually made history on Broadway by being the first intimacy coordinator on Frankie and Johnny and has just been making strides and making waves since then. She is involved with TV and film now. She has been involved with Jagged Little Pill and Slave Play and so many other things, even the upcoming West Side Story and is helping actors bring their voice to the rooms when it comes to acts of sex and simulated sex. And she made a great point that actors' concerns when it comes to these sort of things during choreography, during staging, are oftentimes not even discussed. So an actor may end up doing something they're not entirely comfortable with and therefore can't bring their full and authentic self to the role and to the stage. Please check her out on idcprofessionals.com, which is the company she's involved with that can help actually other organizations or even you individually train to become an intimacy coordinator. And it's a great way to be involved in the industry as a profession without being on stage. A little bit of a trigger warning. We do talk about sexual assault. We talk about sexual abuse, lack of consent. Please find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Make sure if you are listening now and you're not already following on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, just hit that little subscribe button, follow along to the series. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Claire Warden. Today's Drama Desk Award-winning guest is an intimacy coordinator, fight director, teacher, and actress with over 20 years' experience in theater, TV, and film across America and the UK. She worked as an intimacy coordinator and consultant on numerous television productions under various studios, including HBO, Hulu, Amazon, Showtime, as well as major motion picture studios such as Sony and 20th Century Fox, and has recently even worked on the series Mrs. Fletcher, Your Honor, Finding Alaska, Hunters, Billions, and even the feature film of West Side Story, and many, many others. She recently made history as the first intimacy director on Broadway with Frankie and Johnny, and has also worked as an intimacy director on the Broadway productions of Slave Play, The Inheritance, Jagged Little Pill, Linda Vista, West Side Story, and Company. Claire Warden, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. I also want to give credit where credit is due. Most of that bio was ripped off of uh, IMDb. So whoever wrote that bio, you're, you, you did a great job. But, Thank you. <laughs> oh, did you write it yourself? I wrote it myself. <laughs> yeah, it was a very good bio. Um, so I I want to start out because with the the whole intimacy coordinator as a profession. Because for those who don't know, like me being in New York and obviously being sort of on the press side of things, when it was announced that like, oh, Frankie and Johnny has an intimacy coordinator, it was big news. It was mm. like the first of its kind. And then, of course, Slave Play. And then there have been plays with plays and musicals with nudity and simulated sex and these sorts of scenarios for ages like from the, from the beginning of time obviously but why is first of all okay what is an intimacy coordinator and then why now is the first time is it the first time we're hearing about this sort of thing 
Ooh, big questions. I like those. Let's dive in. Um, so <laughs> let's just start with a, a definition. So, in fact, an intimacy coordinator is uh, someone who works on TV and film, and an intimacy director works in live performance. So a similar job, but in the different uh, mediums. And what both of those jobs are is that I like to think of it as three prongs. That we are there first and foremost to ensure that the anything that the actors are doing uh, when it comes to scenes of simulated sex, nudity, or uh, deeply intimate physical contact is something that they enthusiastically consent to and that they are maintaining agency over their body and what is seen of it at all times. Um, and in doing that as well, we are there as a liaison between all of the different production departments, director, actors, wardrobe, stage management, set, lighting, publicity, um, to make sure that the information that is needed in order to keep the actor with their agency and respected and working within their consent is uh, communicated to all the departments. And then the other part of that is that we're, we're craftspeople, we're physical storytellers. So we're actually choreographing and helping to create scenes of simulated sex so that it looks like a sex act, but we're not actually asking actors to do any sex acts as part of their work. In the same way there with violence work, it looks like she punched her in the face, but we're not actually going to ask her to punch her in the face eight times a week because um, that's just not healthy. <laughs> uh, so that's what we do. That's what it is uh, in a nutshell. Um, and uh, why are we just hearing about it? Oh, well, it's the intimacy direction as a discipline has been around in its beginning form since end of 2016, beginning of 2017. First kind of dreamed up and created by Tony Asina um, back in 2006, um, but then kind of codified together uh, when a, a, a group of women, Tonya herself, Alicia Rodgers and Siobhan Richardson got together and decided to actually like codify an approach to scenes of sex, intimacy and nudity that centered the actor which was something that hadn't been done. In fact, the actor was often ignored uh, in those scenes. And, uh, and then it was continued to develop by the team myself, Jessica Steinrock, uh, and that's kind of the journey I have been on. And many other artists have been working in their way to investigate how do we do these scenes in a better, healthier, more respectful, more consensual way. Um, it took a couple of years for people to be like, what? What is this thing? Um, and I, as with all kind of uh, fundamental changes within an industry or within a, a, a community, um, it takes a little while to get going. Um, I will say that intimacy direction rides on the wave of a lot of social movements um, that came before it and that came during it. You know, right back in um, uh, in 2010, when Tarana Burke began the Me Too movement, right, which we didn't really hear on a global scale until 2017, when um, when it started to become the the the, the platform 
for the exposure of what's been happening in the entertainment business. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement, which has been, you know, a community-led grassroots movement for many years. Also, that kind of wave of social change, that wave of calling out to systems of power that it is no longer acceptable to uh, victimize and abuse people that are uh, that are lower in the power dynamic and how we can change that. So was this something as a profession, did you did you actively sort of seek this out or did you find yourself sort of falling into into negotiating conversations or bringing this up? I mean, how how does one sort of create this position when it didn't exist at all previously? Well, I'll speak of my personal journey. I The work I had been doing before I began doing work in intimacy direction, which was uh, I've been an actor all my career, um, a fight director and a teacher and uh, with a specialization in um, working and supporting actors with various uh, traumas, um, emotional, physical and psychological, uh, and like managing them in their work and, and a healthy way to work through them. So, the, and I have always been interested in uh, physical storytelling and choreography and the use of our bodies and our craft, um, and in the, the uncomfortable place, the darkness, the uncomfortable, the, the nitty-gritty, the, as my colleague Sasha Smith says, the crunchy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, in a way, my, and, and I have always had a, um, a calling or a, uh, 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 um, a feeling of purpose to move towards um, supporting and uplifting those that are uh, that fall uh, victim and prey to the system. So I think kind of my life was going along that track. I just happened to read about intimacy direction in a newspaper, in the New York Times. It was just the first article that was ever on intimacy direction. And reading it, me personally, I went, oh, that's why I'm here. Now I get it. It's all come together. Um, and reached out at that point to um, Tonya and to Alicia and said, look, I, I think I see what you're doing. I want to offer um, my my contribution to it and I want to work with you. I want to help you. Um, and so I joined it after it had begun. Hmm. Um, but, you know, kind of in that, in that beginning uh, next step, as it were. Um, and then we all built it together. And the more that we reached out and heard of people doing similar work, uh, the more those contributions gr- allowed it to grow as a, as a discipline. That's, that's, Really interesting because I would have, I mean, I, I guess this is my own ignorance. Um, the, the older I get, the more I find that all, many of my friends, close or not, have gone through some sort of, of trauma, uh, sexual trauma of, of one form or another, whether it's just plain old harassment to the extremes. And to me, it seems like as part of this job and the strange profession where even in today's day and age when there are all these laws and protections in place to 
not be able to discriminate based on people's looks or religion or race or whatever the case is. We're still in a business where that basically has to happen. And to to me, I feel like this is, again, my own ignorance, I feel like it's surprising that it hasn't, that this hasn't come into play uh, beforehand. But then on the other hand, when you're looking at the rise of social media, the Me Too movement, uh, Black Lives Matter, everything that just now in the last one to two to three plus years, very recently, we're, we're in a whole new space. Mm. And I guess too, beyond that is, is that 2020 pandemic comes, Broadway shut down. Is this kind of like a reset button in your mind or is this a pause? Because I know that like from a, from an, a racial equity standpoint, everyone's there's all the stuff that I'm hearing about, about reform and show me the receipts and, and making sure that there is diverse, equitable inclusion going forward. But I haven't really heard anything on the sexuality or the intimacy side of things of like, we're going to make sure we have this type of, of person. And is there, I mean, so like, are we going to guarantee that, there's an HVAC supervisor, so no one gets COVID, but is every company also going to have an intimacy coordinator moving forward? Right. Well, I mean, that's that's a great question. That's a question that's been around for a while. Um, and to, to just speak briefly to your earlier point about um, that it, we've only just started hearing about this in the last couple of years or, or, or that, you know, a lot of people live in that trauma and yet it's not being... Um, the theater industrial complex doesn't work in a trauma-informed way. Um, without going into an, an entire uh, uh, hours-long conversation on, on power systems of power and power dynamics, I think what we what is becoming very clear and what I think we're we're we've, we're starting to see is that the the visible system. So the three systems of power: visible, hidden, and invisible. Right, the visible systems of power, right, which are all the rules and the the laws and the things we can see and point to and say, "Oh, that's why this is like this." Underneath those are the hidden systems of power, which is the people that control the agenda and what gets changed and what doesn't. And without representation and integrity in that layer of power, change is very hard to happen. I think what we've started to see is that. You know, the reason that the kind of the entertainment uh, based wave of the Me Too movement was that people started to come out and without um, uh, without turning back, named the abuse and the corruption within those systems of power. And it's not that actors had only just started speaking up because people have been speaking up about this for ages. It's just that we finally started to make the system and those in power listen and take action. Mm. Um, and that comes from the empowerment of, of the, the, the people that are, are in, you know, in that, uh, that mix, but also um, from this, this awareness of, of need for systemic change. And, with a view to is this a pause or is this a reset? Both. I think it, I think the pause has allowed us to consider a reset um, necessarily. Uh, you know, urgency is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most um, 
powerful uh, tools of oppression and of coercion. Uh, and you'll see it throughout the entire industry. Um, and it's something that, that is a very deft tool at stopping us, like uh, making sure that we can't just stop and look around and go, hang on a minute, this, this doesn't seem okay. Maybe we should like do something about this. But that, no, 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 we've got to go, we've got to go, you've got to get the job, you've got to put the show on, you've got to do that. Yes, yes, definitely, we'll absolutely talk about that next month, next year. Um, so what I think the pandemic pandemic has given us or has, has manifested is that moment where there was no work going on and amidst all the, the, the personal dealing with that, I know I personally had, a, had the opportunity to step back and really look at not only my, my work that I do, but how it fits into the system, which was brilliantly um, highlighted by the enormous layer uh, labor that was done by um, the collection of artists that created the We See You White American Theatre demands um, and all the all other artists that have been, you know, in 2020 calling for um, uh, the, the, the reckoning and the, uh, the change in the system. I think this goes hand in hand. I think this is, you know, the labor that's been done there calls for a recognition of the basic humanity of actors, stage managers, people within the system, people that are often at the bottom of that power dynamic. Um, and the recognition that, uh, that white supremacy it, it damages everybody in the system, including the white people. Um, so that, uh, and what, that as we're looking at you know, racial equity, we also, you know, there's intersectionality. We also need to look at equity for um, disabled people. We also need to look at equity for um, uh, gender parity. We also need to look at equity for all bodies within consent and sexual storylines. Um, in fact, we see White American Theatre does mention intimacy directors five or six times and the, the calling for them to be in the room. Um, and of course, I think they are alongside with cultural consultants who, you know, for, for whatever um, identity you're either, are the characters of the story you're telling or the actors that are telling that. Um, and that, that, uh, that right now we need experts that have deeply studied how to create a consent and equity based room to guide our, all of our uh, projects until we learn that as a standard. And it's a lot of unlearning we have to do. You know, there's a lot of conditioning, there's a lot of learning, and we now have to look at it and go, oh, we're going to unlearn that and we're going to look at it in a new way. It's unconscious bias. I mean, it's, it's, it is unconscious bias, a lot of it. It's also an enormous amount of, uh, of repression of knowing or questioning, like knowing the right thing or questioning uh, something and a lot of silence that's been there and a lot of just understanding outside of your own frame of reference um, what will make a room a healthy and safe place to work for individuals. This is, this is fascinating to me and it's all, it's all brand new. I've never been in a... It's not brand new, actually. I will, I'm going to interrupt you there. It's... Brand new on a on a large scale. I think I mean, this brand, works brand new, been doing. Brand new to me. Yeah. 
as yeah. uh, as well where I was going with this was that it's I, I used to be an actor and I've been on stage in many different things and and I've had to I've had to I think the the most sexual I ever had was three pages of making out with Rizzo when I was Kanicki in Greece, right? right? So it's not like that's fun and it's playful and like and actually now that I see say this, she she was um it it took her a while to feel comfortable. She was a shy. Rizzo was shy, very shy, and it was not like I've done other things where I've had to kiss people, and it's just like, all right, let's just get this over with, and we're fine. And then like she kept pushing and pushing it back because she just wanted to get comfortable with everything. And and the director kind of said like, you just got to do this, like you got to get into it. And I think that was probably not the best thing for him to do in front of a room full of people, mm-hmm. right? So anyway, put that aside. Um, cause now I realized should have had an intimacy director there, but <laughs> yeah. what I was going to say was this was new to me and I haven't had to go through like a nudity or a simulated sex scene, but I guess we could use it at any point. But so where I was going with this was that I, 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 it, my question is if, okay, so Frankie and Johnny, right? So obviously mm-hmm. there's, there's nudity there and I know in film, when there's a nude scene, they like strip out the crew. They go down to a skeleton sort of crew and make sure only the bare minimum is in there, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. And so how does how how do you start to approach the conversation with like Audrey McDonald about like what are you going to be comfortable with? How should we do this? Obviously, in a rehearsal room, it's full lights up. there you know, there's no lighting. There's really bare minimum sets. Like where does the process start? Um, and right, as you said there, um, the process starts with the conversation with the actors, right? Um, well, in fact, first is a conversation with the director to understand what their vision is, what they're thinking for the scenes, if they have anything specific that they're wanting or imagining. So that we get, we're guided by their directorial vision and request. And then it's the conversation with each of the actors individually. That is just about great. What do you what's what do you consent to? What do you not consent to? What's like and it's an enthusiastic consent, uh, you know, in my book. Uh, no, like, uh, sure, I guess, right? That to me is a no. Um, <laughs> so uh, so it's then these are the requests. This is what the script is asking. This is, you know, our director has these ideas. Um, and it's a conversation about what what works for you, what is what is something that you consent to. Um, and then once we have that information, that's what we work with, right? I said there's a thousand ways to tell a story. So we then, the work then becomes, great, how do we tell the story that we all want to tell? What is the story you want to tell, first of all? And how do we tell it within the boundaries of each of the actors that are involved? Um, we do have closed rehearsal rooms. So that means that whenever we're working on scenes of intimacy, that we go down to only the people that are essential to work on that scene are in the room. Director, uh, stage manager, um, intimacy director, the actors that are directly involved in the scene, and anyone else that they might have requested as an um, advocate in the room. Um, and we work at it in stages. Uh, with regards to nudity, often we don't go to nudity until uh, we're actually in tech in the theatre because mm. there's there's no need, right? We'll work in, um, you know, like uh, nude coloured tank tops and leggings or bicycle shorts or something if we need to practice, you know, removing of costumes or things like that. 
Um, and then once we move to the theatre itself, well, then there's another conversation because you have a whole new set of people coming in, your crew that you haven't met before. So then it's a conversation about uh, when we work on that scene, who's in the room, who's not in the room, securing the theatre. Um, uh, when's the moment where we'll do the nudity for the first time within that process? Um, and what are the actors' requests around that? Well, that yeah, that's very is very I guess m- methodical. And you, you know, you hear these interviews with like was was it was so and so a great kisser or does was it awesome to have a scene with with the other person and. Every, like all the answers are just like it's not fun in the way you would think it'd be fun because there's lights and a camera in your face and the yeah. boom is under your armpit and you know there's all these things that people don't see and they don't yeah. understand leading up to it and it's funny because you know and it's probably just because of our whole society's like um attitude towards sex right but but no one i don't know if anyone's ever asked like um you know was that cake that you were eating that too? Was that amazing? Where's the cake from? What's it like to eat that cake? You know, <laughs> right, or they, right. Or they don't like, they don't ask like, how good do those flowers smell? You know, when you pick the flowers up and you smell when he gives you the roses, are those real roses? Does he pick those roses himself? You know, so, but we have this, you know, because our society has so much pressure and so much objectification uh, and so much shame around sensuality and sexuality. Um, it it becomes you know taboo and heightened and titillating, um, and there's the and I think there is a lack of understanding um, from like an audience point of view, from a layperson's point of view, be, exactly because we have not been talking about doing sex and sexuality and, and nudity for actors. We have not been open about that. And so audience members just assume that it's all real. Um, because there's been, you know, there's countless um, behind-the-scenes videos or, or uh, documentaries or YouTube things on how they got that great stunt or how they did the fight in, you know, Captain America or whatever. And you see the craftsmanship behind, you see the stunt coordinators like lining up that look and putting in the effect afterwards. The audiences have started to understand that aspect. So I wonder if just because we haven't, because we've not even been talking about it with the actors, let alone the audience, that there's that kind of lack of, uh, of understanding of what it is like. It's like, it's like any other deeply intense physical action that an actor has to do uh, within their role. Um, also coupled with, you know, centuries of um, cultural historical baggage and the individual person's own experience of, uh, you know, of sex, sexuality, oppression within sex, any abuse, um, and uh, and sexism uh, in our society. Uh, so, you know, I my hope is that as this role as intimacy director, intimacy coordinator becomes better known. Um, and more widely talked about, and you see it on the credits of or in the program, people will start to, the general public will start to understand um, a little more of the actor's journey and what it is what we're actually asking these people to do when we ask them to do these scenes. And not that we shouldn't ask them because it, it's, a, you know, it's a deep and fundamental part of the human journey and you know, what a lot of stories um, have a lot to say about. But um, we need to kind of respect the 
at what we're asking to get the craft that then tells the story and being really aware of what stories we're telling and how we're, what messages we're putting across with the stories we tell. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. So you you have a background in in fight direction too, mm-hmm. and that a, a fight a fight director is essentially you know a, a choreographer. You're choreographing. Mm-hmm a fight and it has to look real and it has to be the exact same eight times a week to make sure that nobody gets hurt. And you do a fight call before every show so that it's never forgotten and all that. And for, for the intimacy direction, intimacy choreographer, or choreography, I guess I talked with um, Catherine Gallagher about this. She was on Mm -hmm. the podcast. Gosh, right. Right. When COVID hit got a year ago now. Um, and and we were talking about it, and the the her number where she's just like talking ab- about her sexual assaults in the show. I mean, it's a powerful show, full stop. But her number two is just uh, mind blowing, and mm-hmm. she's on stage doing this great number, and every the ensemble's hands are all over, and I I I. I I mean, we talked about this, and and it doesn't surprise me now. But I guess at the time, she told me that every single beat of every single ha- every single person's hand mm. is exactly where it should be at that moment. Like everybody was choreographed to everywhere, so that she knew where everyone's hands were at all mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that to me, like that's no easy feat, right? So I mean, that sort of. Thinking back to that rehearsal process or going through all that, do you remember how long it took? And I know without giving away personal details that Catherine wouldn't want to share, uh, is do you remember having this conversation with her about like what do what are you gonna what are we gonna do here? How many people is too many people? Where should these does it matter if it's a male hand or a female hand? Like does mm. does all this come into play? Yes. And um, you know, I I actually joined um the production after they had begun work, right? So they began like up at um, up in Boston in ART. So they had a structure of the choreography and the and the piece beforehand. So when I joined in the Broadway um, production, it was a little bit of kind of going back and looking at what we had and do we need to tweak anything and what kind of conversations do we have. Um, so it was a, a little bit of a, a, a not typical approach but yes in that situation you know, you're also working with a chore- the, the choreographer right uh and Labi is a genius like an incredible choreographer um and so uh at that point you know our work kind of melds together um and we're finding our our pathways together to create this piece of movement um, but the conversation is, you know, uh, great, this is what we have. How's it working for you? Uh, what areas are like 100% no-go areas, no matter what or who? You know, um, what areas are, it depends. Um, uh, or, you know, with this kind of structure, that's okay. Um, 
and uh, and what are the requests that will make this easier um, and and really like uh, methodically going through with with the number at the end um, where you had a number of actors who would come forward and you know and have the have hands all over their body right so each individual each of those actors has their own body their own needs their own experience their own boundaries so we have a conversation with each of those um and then we adapt adjust to fit their requests and the reason that we do that is above everything else to allow the actor to do their best work, right? That's the ultimate goal. We want to create the situation where the actor can do their best work. If as an actor, you are trying to manage something that comes, that, that all of the anxiety, the fear, the pain that comes up when your consent boundaries are being crossed, whether um, knowingly or not, whether in a threatening manner or just because there's a hand there, especially in that kind of story where we're, it's already a story of sexual assault. Um, and if there's a, a movement or if there's a contact with your body that is not fully consensual for you, right? There's a lot that we have to do, our psyches and our bodies, to manage the, 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 the message that is coming up. Right, whether it's a fight, flight, or freeze response, right, or just this is not okay, this is not okay, this is not okay, but I have to manage it because I don't think I can say anything about it. It's a lot of energy that takes, and it's a cumulative energy, right? So it builds night after night after night, and you go in and you're like, everything's going to do the scene, and then you get to the second half and you're like, okay, here comes here comes the that number, right? I just got to grip my teeth and get through it. If all of that energy that you're using to manage a consent violation night after night in front of a thousand people, if that was free for you to just use in your acting and in your commitment to the work that you do, you'll see amazing performances like we saw in Jack Little Pill, like we see in those artists. When you give the artist the opportunity to be free and respected, they will give you the world with their performance. And that's all we're trying to do um, is create a place. When an artist is empowered, when an artist feels safe, they can do really dangerous, bold, courageous work. And she got a Tony nomination out of that performance. And so fully deserved, yes. Obviously, hopefully yeah. a Tony win, yes. Uh, yeah. Part of that as well, also just to kind of talk about the cumulative effect, right? Something that we have to consider, especially when we're looking at uh, theater and shows and something like a Broadway show, which runs from, you know, unless a world pandemic interrupts it, runs for <laughs> months and months and months. Why? That would never happen. Yeah. Um, we have to consider as well the kind of cumulative psychological and physical effect of telling a story of sexual assault, rape again and again and again, night after night after night. If you don't have strong um, what we call closure practices, which are ways of kind of opening up that workspace and closing it down at the end of the night so you don't take it home with you, mm -hmm. um, you can kind of release it. Um, and it doesn't become part of your life and you're not blurring those lines between your cast mate and the character that they play, 
and that you're able to step away from that story and live your life outside of the theater. Uh, if you and you're not, you know, creating good self-care routines to help you do that, it can become very damaging. It can build up and up because our psyches cannot tell the difference between something that's actually happening to us and when we go through that imaginative journey of telling that story. So that's also something that's really important that um, that hasn't been talked about a lot is just that aspect of care. You know, actors warm up; they rarely cool down. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of emphasis put on like, you've got to, you know, you've got to cry or it's not real. You know, you've got to, you've, if you're not suffering, it's not, it's not authentic. You've got to put your whole self in, but then there's very little teaching on how to like get your whole self back, right. Or put yourself back together and be able to live your life outside of it. So you're, you're almost a therapist as much as you are, you know, an intimacy Ooh, director. No. No, I know know you don't want to call yourself a therapist for legal reasons, but uh, I'm like, you've got to get into these stories with people. You've got to get into their, to their, to their yeses and their noes. And I guess there's a, you draw the line, I would assume at the why, right? Nobody's required to tell you why they do or do not want to consent. Uh, But I'm sure that, yeah, you just have to be a listener. You have to have help people explore things. Because my assumption here, again, could be ignorant, is that as an actor, I want to be able to perform. I want to be able to deliver. And if I'm not comfortable with something that I know either the other actors or the director, like for, for good reason, right? If there's a good request behind this and I'm just not there yet comfortably... But, uh, you know, there's got to be a way to to talk with you and work through this and get myself to the point where I can be safe and can deliver, hopefully, the best performance that is capable of uh, to be delivered. Yeah, yeah. So I'll say we, we work in a trauma-informed way, which basically means that we acknowledge and know that it is likely that many, most people have some kind of trauma effect um, in them, and that we make a space to understand and support that. Very different from a therapist or a trauma worker who works to help people solve, resolve, or work their way through their own trauma. That is not our job. It should never. That should not be the job of anybody in in a rehearsal room. <laughs> that's just not. Directors don't do it. Stage managers don't like. That's not the job. Um, but in order to create a consent-based space, we need to be trauma-informed. And that simply means that we can provide the space for those that are, if it, their, their, uh, the effects of their trauma come up in their work or if it's present or if a storyline is particularly um, potent or triggering, that we can that we're creating a space for them to use the tools they already have to work in a way that is safe. Um, and w- as it comes to like actors who are trying to to get there, but maybe not quite there yet. Yeah, that's part of um, the actors' work in kind of resilience and managing their own um, systems. I like to talk about it as a, as a scale, like a kind of, it's called the discomfort scale. Right? And for me, there's a difference between being uncomfortable and being unsafe or unhealthy. And mm-hmm. I don't actually ask my actors if they're comfortable with something. I ask them if they are confident 
with doing this particular move or this particular uh, situation, right? Because rarely do we, I mean, we don't often strive for comfort when we're making like art or anything. It's not like, you know, we go to see a show and we're like, my God, that was the most comfortable show I have seen in years. Brilliant. Two and a half hours of total comfort, right? <laughs> and if, if it has been that scene, why not go back and see it again? Um, because your, like, your mama Mia's, you know. That's yeah, just, that's just, yeah. yeah. So because we like often we're asking those questions, those exact questions that might be uncomfortable or might be, you know, shining a light on things that other people don't want us to. Um, or we're asking the hard questions, the, the powerful questions, the deep questions. We're challenging something. Um, and that's not always comfortable. Or even if it's like a fun, comfortable, fun, easy storyline, you know, you look at some of these um musicals especially for example that are like a marathon for some of these actors to do right not necessarily comfortable yeah Yeah. but what we want to make sure is that the the actors are in control of how far down the kind of discomfort scale they go so like one end is like easy could do this all day getting a little you know moving down the scale oh it's getting a little awkward oh this is painful holy this is scary wow this is a lot right but there's an end of that scale which then turns into pain. And we don't want to spend a lot of time in pain, right? And physically, you can often tell the difference between something that's uncomfortable and something that's painful. You know, the kind of the stone in your shoe is uncomfortable. The shard of glass in your foot is painful, right? Yeah, your body yeah. sends the message, stop, this is dangerous, or mm, we don't want to do this for much longer, right? But the other side of pain is a small one. The other side of pain is trauma. And we never want to go into creating trauma or, or um, re-engaging in a trauma, right? So that line between the, this, the uncomfortable and the pain, that's a line that can be moved up and down the scale depending on the support we give the actor, the, the way they're working through their own life and needs, the trust they have in their fellows, um, the conversation that you've had beforehand, so they know what's going to happen, they know what's being asked, they know who's going to be in the room, all of that information can allow actors to do uncomfortable, sometimes even a little scary work without causing themselves actual psychological, emotional, or physical harm, especially if it is on a continual basis. Um, so that's something that I really think is important for a- actors on their own journey to understand. But then as creatives that are helping them, it, that's a help, it's a useful tool to just be like, great, so where are we on that scale? And what would help you go back into uncomfortable as opposed to pain? Or we want to move our little line further up. We, what do you need that would give you the confidence to go to the, or is this a, no, that's just against my consent and we're going to find another way to tell the story. Hmm. So, so taking that, what you just said to something like slave play, mm. where to well, That's me, a whole bunch of uncomfortable. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I was going to say intimacy director to me. There's, there's, 
many different levels of intimacy. And it doesn't have to be sexual and it doesn't have to be physical, I, I assume. And in something like slave play, there's the, there's the systemic trauma and inherited trauma that, that we're dealing with in this. And coincidentally, this, this comes out and makes waves you know, the summer before George Floyd is murdered and Black Lives Matter is is in all over the place again. And obviously this is something that people of color have lived with for their entire lives. And people who present as white don't often have that kind of intimacy problems, right? So, or no, problems is not the right word, challenges. We'll change that. Strike, strike problems, intimacy <laughs> challenges. And so... When you're approaching slave play, there were simulated sex scenes in there, but it was it was like the the sexual side of it was almost a farce because it was that was sort of the you know the show within the show sort of thing, right? Mm. But then when it got real, holy shit, did it get real? Yes. And so, okay, so talk to me about that then. Where do you start to approach? It? Uh, I, I, it's not see. It's, I don't know what type of intimacy I'm, I'm, I want to call it. What do you, how do you categorize that type of intimacy? Well, I would say in a production like Slave Play, you have a number of things, and this is exactly why and how, Jeremy, you wrote the play. The intersection and the, 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 um, the very fact that it is so hard to pull apart the sexuality and the sexual journey and the um, the racial connotations and um, com- complications of mixed race uh, intimate couples on sitting in the in the pool of systemic racism um, and so when you have a situation like that um, you know for my job my job is to be there as the cons- the uh, creator and the holder and the steward of the sexual scenes, but it must go alongside with the understanding and the support of experts or those with lived experience on the racial conversation, right? Um, and so I and my co-intimacy uh, director, uh, Tanisha Stevia Johnson, we both work together as fight and intimacy director, uh, and they're a, pers- they're a person of color. And I think that it's really vital to offer the expertise and the experience and the support I can in my lane. And we were very lucky in the, you know, to be helmed by Robert O'Hara, who is mm-hmm. an incredible director, who really did hold that space for the, the racial conversation incredibly and deeply. And there was a lot of listening and learning for me to do in that space. And a lot of guidance of here I offer in relation to the story that I'm hearing you want to tell, here's the technicalities I offer, here is the uh, support systems that I will build to hold this work. Um, and so, and, and, and here's the con- constant communication of everybody involved to really clarify the story that we're telling, right? And the, the, fa- the, 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 opportunity of that show is that yes in the first act the fun you can have with sexual scenes and like what's the tone we want here how can we make this a little more ridiculous or can we push that envelope or what what is it we want to say about that 
but then also in the same play to be able to have the, the deep gravity and um, complexity of the last scene um, when it was uh, when it really dives into that kind of authentic, painful discoveries. Um, it's a joy of a show to do. Um, but I will say if, if, if that's a situation where you need a cultural consultant or you need those in the room that are helming that with lived experience to be able to tell that in a responsible way and to weave those stories together. Yeah, Sleep Play still, to this day, is, is one of my all-time favorite shows I've ever seen, especially, I mean, literally and metaphorically holding up the mirror on mm -hmm. myself, right? Mm -hmm. And it came at such a, a, a great time in in my life and I hopefully in society and uh, God, I hope it comes back um, mm -hmm. when theater comes back. But do you have a um, kind of a moment or a, sh a show, whether it be theater or film or TV or whatnot, where, where you felt like... Or, I was going to ask like if you have a favorite, but I think that's kind of cliche. Uh, let's go the opposite direction. And where I was going to say like, do you feel like there was a challenge you didn't know how to approach, and what like something that was the most difficult for you to approach conversationally, or is it just is it just starting the same and dissecting everything the same way and starting at the basics? Mm. Mm. That's a great question. Um, I'm going to answer it in two different ways because I'm like that. Um, I will say, rather than a particular show that was really difficult, what I have, what's really clear, what's really uh, poignant to me is that um, at the beginning of this journey, the, the, the most difficult thing for me was balancing and managing various resistances to the work and to the, 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 the request and the setting up of, of a consent-based process from all different areas of the production team. Um, and now that we're a couple of years on and it's known and, and many people have worked with an intimacy directive before or at least have friends that have or know a bit about it. And there's a there's beginning more acceptance of, of the work uh, to then be able to be in a room and not not having to be managing the resistance and how it's, it's trying to undermine the, the work, but simply to... Even if it's just, great, if you've not done this before, explaining how it works, okay, and off we go. Um, that makes, what that does is free up a lot of my time and energy for the work. Um, and is, you know, to be honest, a lot less emotionally draining for me, um, you know, having to kind of fight at the same time as like do the work, have one hand trying to fight for the, for the, the advocacy of the work whilst also <laughs> trying to keep the actors safe. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's something that's really struck me. Um, there have certainly been, um, you know, particular moments of like, how are we going to do that on stage? Um, uh, I, it, it's starting to be a, 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 a kind of amusing habit that each time I read one of Jeremy's plays, because I've worked on a couple now, each one I read of Jeremy <laughs> Harris's play, 
there's always a piece in the script. I read it and I'm like, how the hell are we going to do that? There's like <laughs> always, and I'm like, what? Um, so uh, I, I certainly think that, um, you know, just the technical challenge in slave play of um, the Philip Alana um, dildo insertion, right? How, because it was such a large dildo and because <laughs> there were, there were it was, mirrors. It had to be comically yeah. large. Yeah, and it was like mirrors at the whole of the back of the stage. So you lose that opportunity for masking and you have audience like close up. You know, that was a real challenge. Uh, and, uh, and then you move to a Broadway house because um, I worked on it both off-Broadway and, and on Broadway and, and at Yale. Um, so then moving to a Broadway house, we we kind of got it sorted, but then there's a mezzanine. <laughs> so, and then there's like whole different sight lines. Um, so that was a particularly like uh, fun, interesting challenge to really get that to look authentic um, uh, and, you know, do the job. Uh, and acknowledge like whilst there's a lot of, laughter around it the really deeply damaging um trope uh of racial harm that that action carries with it um and how to kind of honor that and hold at the same time in the same space um the the kind of pushing it to the ludicrous like holding those together so that we're respecting both needs at the same time and making space for all of that um yeah that was that was fun challenging i could imagine i could all oh gosh <laughs> i i don't even want to get into what you tried and didn't work <laughs> all right so we'll wrap this episode up with the three standard closing questions i ask everybody at the oh. end of the episodes the first one here very simply is just what motivates you oh motivates me um, making the world a better place. That sounds so cheesy. No, I'm going to no, scrap that. What motivates me is obstinate hope. Okay, second question then. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? <laughs> um, listen to the voice inside. It's right and ask for help great last question then if you could only see one show for the rest of your life but you can see it as many times as you want what would you see holy moly that's <laughs> cruelty in the extreme one show for the rest of my life yeah i i think right now i think it would be slave play it's pretty damn good don't think I can ever stop learning from that. All right. Julia and from Harris. those people, like the actors in it. It's such a brilliant, brilliant play all around. I agree. I, mm. I think it's wonderful. So where can mm. we find you on social medias? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, Claire Warden, the Claire Warden, at Claire Warden. You'll find it's me. I'm in a red shirt. Um, <laughs> uh, and you can also find me on uh, my company, IDC, Intimacy Directors and Coordinators. Um, we, uh, we run a, uh, we train 
the next uh, the next generation of intimacy directors and coordinators, uh, and we uh, consult and train in academia as well. So come find us. Yeah, so I was actually going to ask you if we wanted to become a, 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 an intimacy coordinator, an intimacy director. Um, you mentioned your website, but what's the actual uh, URL of your website so people can check it out? Yeah, idcprofessionals.com, idcprofessionals.com. I'll say it <laughs> slower. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we, we offer a full certification program for both intimacy directors and intimacy coordinators. It takes you right from the beginning all the way through everything you need to know. Um, and uh, we also offer webinars and um, uh, information booklets and stuff on there all about the work. And whether you're just interested in learning more about a consent-based process, like the first levels of the training for anyone that's just like, I want to know more about how to work on scenes of intimacy, how to create a consent-based room. Um, or if you're like, I want to do this for my job and my life, you just keep working with us. So uh, yeah, come join us and uh, learn with us. I love that. All right. Thank you so much. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating and a review. You can find more links to subscribe at the website. This has been edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thanks to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music you're hearing right now. And Claire Warden, thank you most of all. I have really enjoyed this. This has been so enlightening. Thank you. Me too. It's lovely talking with you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.